loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open up this familiar scripture today, that you will bring new treasures and old from it and enable us to be attentive to what you're saying to your church in this period, in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm quite excited because I think I've seen something in this passage I haven't seen before, but I want to set it up as ever with a story I've told many times because I think this story helps us in our sense of uselessness often. And it's the story of the uh, Indian girl, you remember, who carried two jars on her shoulders and filled them with water, and one of them was cracked and it leaked, and that jar in this story is allowed to talk, and you remember the story? It talks to the other jar and it says, oh, I'm a terrible jar, I'm useless, I leak, and when she gets home, I'm only half full, so I let her down so badly and she had to carry me all the way. And the other jar says, duh, haven't you seen what's happened? The woman planted seeds along the grounds, and every day that we've walked back on the way back, you've watered the ground because you leak, and now flowers have come up, and that's the only thing that keeps her going on her journey, is seeing these beautiful flowers, and it lifts her from the mundane. You're the one who's brought water and life to her. You're not useless. You're the giver of life and hope. And it's a great story, isn't it? I don't know who originally came up with that story, but it's a great story because it helps us when we feel like we haven't got anything off her to think in a different way and think, I wonder what hope we can give. Uh, a story from one of our own. I have, uh, uh, for over the last year, regularly gone to visit a lady who has recently passed away. Um, and... Uh, she was often say, what, what can I do anymore? She had been used to being a great musician and a very accomplished person, a teacher, an organist, and was then stuck, unable to do the things that had given her life previously. It's like, do I have to carry on? I don't want to carry on. And, uh, and I had to say to her, well, actually, all in God's time, isn't it? But even when we feel like we can't do the thing that we previously prized ourselves for being able to do, we are not in God's economy useless. There's much that he can do, whether it's mentoring the vicar who's come to see you and encouraging him along his way, whether it's sitting there and praying for people, whether it's witnessing to our carers and the people around us. Even when we feel at our weakest, we can still bring great hope to people. I don't know if you know the story of dear Sonia Arnold, a vicar who was on a staff at St. Stephen's Twickenham and one time a tutor at Trinity College Bristol. She recently passed away very young, but it was said of her in her hospital that the light of Christ was shining through her and from her and transforming people. And actually one of the things that gave her hope was coming here to a a meeting we had of different clergy with David Walker from Reading speaking, and he was talking about building your storm shelters one Wednesday morning here. And it gave her great courage as she faced her last days. And in her last days, she brought transformation to those around her in her weakness. So often, it is when we are weak that in reality... We are strong, or at the very least, Christ is strong through us and in us. 
one of the things this passage says is, bring your weakness to me and see what I can do. Well, that's not all the passage is about. This passage is actually a very, very important piece of teaching in terms of shaping how we do and understand church. There have been different ways of dividing up church down through history. Sometimes we divide it up in terms of bishops, priests, and plebs, <laughs> although we call it laity. Um, and there's a sort of sense of hierarchy there, boom, 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 like that. This passage doesn't have that. It has a sort of a circular um, structure to it. And it talks about, throughout chapter, chapter 12 in particular, it talks about five types of gift or ministry or graces which are key to the church. And I think probably the overall tenor of the chapter is that um, these are very widely available. And, it, and some have even suggested that it might be that each person comes under one of these categories to some degree or other. Let's define them, and then we'll see how it works through the passage. Well, the first one it mentions, all the way in, in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 12, is apostles. Apostles simply means sent ones. We're familiar with the 12 apostles, aren't we? Um, and then we know that other people were called apostles in, in the scriptures. Matthias became the apostle who replaced Judas. And then Paul is called an apostle. James is also called an apostle. And uh, there's uh, um, a, a, wooden, a woman called Junia who's called an apostle. Uh, others are mentioned as being among the apostles in Romans 16. And, um, and so there's a sort of a general sense of people who were sent ones being apostles. And you might think in our context, Mike Tuffle has, has become an apostle from Christchurch W4 last weekend. We're sending him to deepest, darkest Dorset in the hope that he transforms the seaside resorts into uh, the glorious light of Jesus and joins in what God's already doing there. He's been sent out from us. We send out people to theology college. We send out people to uh, different mission fields uh, every day of the week in their workplaces. We, we send people, uh, and uh, some of us are particularly sent people in God's kingdom. Uh, then it mentions prophets. Um, apostles are, in, in some ways, the eyes of the church. They see things clearly. They have vision and know how to get it happening. We have prophets who are the ears of the church, the ears of the church, they hear the voice of God and they proclaim it out to people and say, this is what God's talking about. And it may be you're one of those people and you hear God through impressions, through scripture reading, through your prayer time. You just have this nudging sense that this is what God's on about now. And those words that come together and you sort of get that sense of this scripture or this picture that really helps shape the church, the ears of the church, the prophets. Then we have the teachers who sniff out all of the falseness out there and then speak out what's right. They can sense, they can smell when something's gone off key and they want to go, boom, this is the way we should go. This is what the apostles said. This is what Jesus said. This is what the scripture said. Let's get back to it. I can sniff your bad doctrine from a mile away. Let's get back to the truth as it's been handed on to us, the teachers of the church. Um, uh, so, so we have um, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, um, uh, and uh, the, the, um, the, those who work miracles, uh, those who have gifts of healing, uh, those who have gifts of administration, those who speak in different kinds of tongues. 
Um, we also, in, uh, in the Ephesians 4 passages, sort of parallel, have those who are pastors. Pastors, I think, are like the hands of the church. They can give you a hug when you need a hug. I don't know who you turn to for pastoring, uh, who you pastor. Uh, some of you pastor not with a hug, but with a cake. You bake a cake for someone and bring it round. You knock on the door and do some shopping. You care for people in, in giving. Uh, and then we have evangelists, the feet of the church, those who bring good news, the bearers of good news. And so last week we realized that God gives all these manifestations of the Spirit not so that person becomes puffed up by their faith or their healing power or their prophecy or their tongues, but so that the common good of the church community and the mission of Jesus can be built up. And this week in verses 12 through 31, we remember that the body is a unit made up of many parts, and although all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. All of you, all of us have gifts. When you add them together, you get the body of Jesus Christ. We're all part of the body. If you say, I have no gifts, um, then well, all of the body's got gifts. All parts of the body are gifts. So you're basically wrong. <laughs> you do have a gift. That's what helps you be part of the body and use it. And understanding what your gift is at this stage of your life, of your ministry, and your time, is really important. It may be that your key gift is encouraging, a sort of pastoring encouraging. It may be that it's praying, interceding. It may be that it's teaching and passing on the faith. Could be any of these things. It can even be, in verse 28, administration. Wonderful gift. We're looking for new operations people in the, in the church. Pray that we get the right ones. It makes such a difference to get the right people in the offices behind the scenes driving it forward. But we all have gifts from God. And that's what makes us part of his body. And when we bring the gift, we're fully part of the body. If we hide it away, go, I haven't got it, I can't use it, I can't do it, I can't do anything. Like that jar that the Indian lady was carrying. We fail to recognize what God's doing in us and through us. And we miss the chance to rejoice in what God has made us to be. Some of the people who are most powerful in the kingdom of God are the weakest humanly. There are people on their deathbeds like Sonia who can be the greatest evangelist because against all the odds, the light of Jesus shines from them. So it doesn't matter what we've been given, it's what we do with what we've been given that counts. And so if, this is what uh, verses 14 through 20 are saying, if you happen to be afoot, like the evangelist, and you go, oh, I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, I'm not a nice, comfortable pastor. I make people uncomfortable. I don't really feel part of the church because I'm not, you know, cuddly and nice. Then you would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Just because you go, oh, I'm not a hand, doesn't mean the foot falls off. <laughs> we can all be different shapes and sizes within the body. And similarly, if a prophetic person... An ear should say, because I'm not the apostle, the eye, I don't belong to the body. Um, it would not, for that reason, drop out from the body. The ear doesn't fall off for that reason. If everyone were these great visionary apostolic types, 
Who would pause to hear the still small voice of God and go, I can see you're driving ahead, but what about this? Have you thought of that? Didn't God say this and bring a sort of a honing of vision together? And it says in verse 18 that, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Just as he wanted them to be. And friends, could I ask at this middle point of this talk, do you accept and believe that? Just as God wanted them to be. Do you have a God who is a God who is sovereign, Lord, and in control? Or do you have a weak and failing God who doesn't quite know what he's doing, who's letting the world get out of control and your life out of control? It changes how you see everything, doesn't it? If the Lord is on his throne and in control and has arranged you into the body just as he wanted you to be, then, and if what he says is, accept it, rejoice in it, allow yourself to be who you are now and relish in it, it frees you to be the best you that you can be. You may never, ever get to have the temerity of Maggie Fear in the front row here or the scholarship of uh, Valerie Thompson in the front row. You may never have their incredible gifts and skills. You may never smile like Dennis. You may never be able to play the, uh, the keyboards uh, like Josie or Emma. But if God has truly arranged things how he wants them to be, what are you going to do with where he's put you? Are you going to say, God, you've really screwed me over, God? Or are you going to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I may look like a cracked flower pot, but maybe there are some flowers that we can bring to life together through the cracks that I've got and through the water that I'm leaking. You can rally and rail at God and say, it's not fair. If only X, Y, and Z had happened in my life or A, B, and C were around me and helping me or I had this gift or the other gift, then I would be on fire for you, Lord. But let me let you into a secret. If you can't handle the gifts he's given you, why on earth do you think you'd handle any more? <laughs> if you're not faithful with the little he's given you, what do you think he'd do if you gave him a bucket load of them? That's the story Jesus told, wasn't it? He gave one person one gift, another person five gifts, another person ten gifts. And the one with one gift sulked his head off and buried it in the ground. And then Jesus came back and he said to the guy with ten, what have you done with it? And he said, I've made ten more. He said, good lad, well done. He said to the one with five, what have you done with it? I made five more. And he said to the one with one, what have you done with it? He said, I knew you were a harsh master God. I don't like you very much, so I buried it in the ground. And here's what you gave me. And, and Jesus says, look, if you put it in a bank, I'd have had 1.1 by now. <laughs> Awful. And he takes the one away from him and gives it to the one who's now got 20. Let's not complain about how much we have or haven't been given. Let's ask God how much of what we've been given we're actually using for his kingdom. And if it's a small amount that we feel we've been given, as we use it to its fullest, guess what? He gives us more. 
As we step out in faith, he gives us more. He accelerates it and so forth. And then verses 21 through 26 effectively says, look, guys, also don't look around at one another and do the comparison thing. You know, I can look at Dennis and go, if only I had hair like that, then the miracles would come, you know. The power of the Lord would fall on us and every head would turn in this direction. Um, but he says, don't compare. You know, you may just look like you do. Uh, but the weaker parts are indispensable as long as well as the stronger parts. And actually the things that we treat with, um, with special honor are the things humanly which need modesty. There are bits of us we always cover up, aren't there? <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I'm quite in favor of the cover-up thing, especially uh, when we're having lunch together in a, in a moment. But God has put us all together with our weaknesses, with our strengths, with our failings, and we need each other. Verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. We do not know how much grace the person next to us has been given. We have no way of telling how much potential that person has got, nor how much of it they're using. I love the story in a book called The Final Quest, and it tells a very moving story of two men in heaven. One has had the sort of life that um, I suppose I've had. Every opportunity, educationally, went to a good university, had a good family, I went to theology college, I got out there, became a minister, preached to people. People came to faith in Jesus, probably wrote a few things along the way, got to the end of his long and illustrious life, and everyone saw him as a, as a great hero in a way. Um, I don't know if that's where I'll end up, but, you know, all those opportunities. I can relate to those opportunities. And the second person was someone who had grown up deaf and dumb, had no opportunities, was abused, locked in a bedroom, I kept out of the way by parents who were ashamed of him, ended up on the streets, uh, drinking, and one day used both the small portions of grace that this dear man had been given not to kick a cat who passed his way. And because he didn't uh, kick the cat, because he used his grace, his pastoral grace, if you like, God gave him more, and someone came and explained the gospel to him in a way he understood, uh, and after that, he ended up being the guy on the street handing out tracts to people, um, not able to speak, but just giving tracts to people. And in heaven, according to the book, he ended up there having had a martyr's death because he gave his coat to one of the ladies he was sleeping rough with under, under a shelter, and he died of hypothermia, saving her life. And in heaven, he was greeted as a great martyr. He had led one person into faith in his entire life. The pastor had led shed loads of them. But in heaven, the one who had used all of the grace he'd been given him, the deaf and dumb, mute, he was the one who was honored the most. And the one who had every opportunity had used about half of what he'd been given. And he stood there in the shadows of the martyr, um, happy as anything to be in heaven, because it's all by grace that we get there. But knowing that this guy was the one who was honored the most and his rewards were great in heaven. Does that make sense to you? To me, it just shot through me. And it said, 
Clearly, when we look around, you can see some people who are very gifted teachers, some people who hear the Lord clearly, some people who see clearly, some people whose feet send them out in evangelism. You can, you can assess this, and you don't have to deny the gifts you have. But what we don't know is how much people have been given in the first place and how faithful they are in using them, and therefore we cannot judge. And we can't go, I'm better than you. Who knows? Maybe I'm using all the grace I've got, uh, and Valerie's using 5%. Seems unlikely. (laughs) Seems unlikely, doesn't it? But what we're called to do is stand up, man up, woman up, play our part in the body of Christ because it says again that they are just as he wanted them to be. Verse 18, you are where God wants you to be. Amen? Right now, you have the opportunity that you need. You have the grace you need for each day. You can make an impact on people that you need to do. You may not think it's very consequential, but it is what he's given you to do, and therefore do it wisely, cheerfully, joyfully, and you'll see the world change around you. If you just stand up, man up, woman up, to the call he has on your life today. And when one of us suffers, then each suffers with him. And when one of us is honored, each rejoices in him. So we are the body of Christ. We're all a part of it whether apostle, prophet, teacher, worker of miracles, having healing, administration, tongues, pastoral or evangelistic giftings. None of us are all of these things. None of us can do all of them. That's verse 29 and 30. But we should eagerly desire the greater gifts. We use everything we've got and we pray for more. We use everything we've got and we pray that we can hear his voice clearly, that we can pastor, that we can prophesy, that we can share the good news, that we can be filled with his spirit. Say, God, here I am, weak as I am, give me more for your glory and I'll use it for you. All that I am is available to you, broken wounded, weak as I am. It's yours. Unable to do what I used to be able to do, still yours. Longing that I could be different maybe, but accepting that you know where I am and you've given me what I need. I'm yours. Use me for your glory, Lord. Use me for your glory. Let me burn for you that the world may see that there is hope forever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.